Welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers who are harnessing the power of -of out-of-the-box thinking with the latest and greatest must-have technology tools and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Before we get started, a special thank you to our premier sponsor, Rapid SOS. As a trusted public safety data partner and the creators of the world's first emergency response data platform, RapidSOS is sharing critical data with first responders like myself to get us the information we need to save lives and property. To learn how you can become RapidSOS ready and better protect the ones you love, visit RapidSOS.com and tell them Tracy sent you. Now, on with the show. Today, my guest is Carl Waggett. If you have not had the opportunity to listen to Carl's podcast, PTSD Bunker Gear for Your Brain, or caught him live on his Facebook page on Thursday nights, you are really missing out. Carl's ability to discuss PTSD in the emergency services is the epitome of entertaining, educational, and empowering information. Please join me in welcoming my dear friend and one of the biggest reasons why I was able to come out of the darkness... Carl Waggett. Hey, friend. Welcome. Tracy, it's so great to be here. Look, you know what? With the past year and everything, we seem to keep missing each other. But you know what? For some strange reason, the universe keeps bringing us back together. So I'm not going to argue with something that powerful. So thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, I, you know, and you had no choice but to be on my show because, and I think you know this, you were actually my first introduction two podcasts. Back in early 2017, I was not in the best place. I was dealing with some pretty significant PTSD symptoms and and I didn't want to just give up. I didn't want to be a hypocrite. Let's put it that way. So what I mean by that is, is for years I had been teaching 911 telecommunicators about PTSD and what to look for. And, you know, you should get help if you're not doing well. Um, while I was in the midst of dealing with my own PTSD and I was kind of the carpenter whose house wasn't finished, you know, like I was, I was, I was being a little bit of a hypocrite and then I found you and we'll talk about that in, in just a a, a few minutes, but let's let folks get to know who you are. Tell me, tell, tell the folks that have no idea who, who's Carl Waggett, who's Carl Waggett. Cause I know you're going to have a new fan base after this, but who are you, well, my friend? See, that's the thing. I, to be honest with you, I'm still trying to figure that out myself. Right. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, as, as they say, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your intentions. Right. Cause, cause I figured <laughs> I had everything figured out. Right. And then all of a sudden, well, the bottom end fell out. Um, you, you know what? I, I I grew up pretty modestly, like I said, in in Canada, just a nobody. Get along with people, that's fine, no problem. And uh, well, decided that I I actually really wanted to help people. Now the problem is, is that in the society that we live in, if you want to help people, you have to be quite intelligent, and that's well, unfortunately that's something that I didn't have. So I knew that a doctor or anything like that was something I wasn't going to be able to do. But I I saw the fire service, and I thought, well, this is banging. Like this sounds okay. You know, the qualifications at the time was a grade 12 education and a first aid and a DZ license. And I thought, well, that's all in my wheelhouse. I can do that. Right. And then when I found out what the fire department did was do nothing but help people. I thought this is the greatest gig in the world. 
right? You don't make a product, you don't sell a product, you help people. And from somebody who really wasn't supposed to do much in life, according to his high school guidance counselor, I, I felt like I had the lotto, right? So, you know what, I, I got in this job, it's supposedly, you know, very dangerous. And when I got in, I realized just, well, how dangerous it really was. You know, there's stuff out there that can bite you that you didn't even know. I, I started learning about stuff like like, you know, germs and, 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 and house construction and, and stuff like this that I never thought about. So anyways, I, I, I thought, okay, well, look, I'm going to arm myself with knowledge. And that's exactly what I did. And, and at the same time, while I was starting a young family, like if, if you want to know a, know a new level of fear, have kids, right. And, and then go through the fire service and see what can happen to them. So, you, you know, you have all this happen. And all of a sudden I started to notice that it wasn't that I was having any of these symptoms of mental health, even if I even believed in it at the time. The fact of the matter was, is I just, I didn't really like who I was becoming, which made no sense because I spend my days helping people. I think that, I think that's a key f- statement. I mean, and, and for those that do know you, they know already that this conversation is going down the road of mental health in public safety. So, you know, this, there's two things that number one, you don't see the change in yourself. Right. And number two, I want to touch back on something that you just said. You said, even if I believed it or not, would you care to elaborate on that? My friend? Well, I I'm sorry, but I, I think I'm the same as most people in the general public, you know, Okay, a, a small percent of people really go high in education, but the most of us go through public school sectors, right? Yep. That's what we do. We, we go through kindergarten to grade 12, and then if we're lucky, we go to college or university. That's fine. But in, in kindergarten to grade 12, how much do you learn about the brain? Seriously, you learn nothing. Right. I took well in high school. All right. That was my best chance of finding a job. So as for studying anything to do with anything mental, you're void of that. So when you hear about mental health, the only thing that, that guided me with mental health was, well, Hollywood movies. And I knew I wasn't ready for a white jacket that did up in the back yet. So I, I you know, what mental health, what are you talking about? So it, it's going against everything that you're taught your whole life. And then when you start learning on your own and you're like, okay, I'm doing this not because I want to better myself because my entire life is falling apart you start to realize that the human brain maybe works a little bit different than, than you thought. And that, you know, I, I think the biggest problem with this whole mental health thing is that people start talking about it and they instantly go, well, what are we just not going to go to bad calls now? Like, are we right. just not going to see stuff? Well, you know, there used to be a time in the sixties and the seventies when you just lifted whatever you want. And then eventually you got a bad back. Well, we learned that you can make yourself stronger as a human being. And once I think people start to clamp onto the whole mental health as making an individual stronger, then I think that's when we're going to start accepting a little bit more. And that's, that's when I started to understand that this, this mental health thing is not just about all feelings and people feeling comfortable. It's about making somebody stronger. Yeah. And I think, I think you're 100% correct where, you know, we go through this job, these jobs, right? So (laughs) I think this is the time where I go back and and um, kind of identify your definition or your your old definition of emergency services. Uh. Uh, I have to laugh because, um, as I mentioned, when I was starting to go down the path that I was going down, and I knew like I was I was having nightmares all the time, and and it was weird because I had I had left the job that was causing or what I thought was causing me all of these issues. I left the job. I start, I left my 911 center after being there for 20 years. Um, I didn't have the the best leadership. So I leave that job 
and I'm with my new company, Rapid SOS. I'm really excited. We're doing all kinds of amazing things and I'm not feeling it. I'm just not feeling, I'm crying all the time. Um, I feel like a failure that I am not saving people. I, you know, I, I just, I didn't, I wasn't in a good place. And as time was going on, I wasn't doing anything about it. And then I finally got to a place where I was starting to see things. I don't want to make it sound like hallucinations, but um, things just started popping up in front of me and it, and it, it, it looked like these things were real in front of me. Um, and I realized that they were these little buggers called flashbacks. And I started to think to myself like, oh, I think it's, I think it's time for me to get some help. And so I did. And one of the things I put my foot down, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to arm myself with as much armor as I can. And you were one of those pieces of the armor that I put on. I, I was Googling PTSD, everything like, all right, I've been teaching people, but I've been teaching like the tip of the iceberg. Is this PTSD? Am I crazy? Am I losing my mind? Like what's going on? And up pops a logo with a Maltese cross and it says PTSD bunker gear for your brain. I knew it would work. All that <laughs> research. Love it. <laughs> well, it worked. It worked in a big way because I'm like, whoa, okay. I'm a firefighter. Let me check this thing out. And and I had never listened to a podcast. So how that's silly, right? It's silly that in 2017. I've never heard of a podcast before I before I recorded one. I didn't even know what it was. So I I I click on the little button and the the really badass picture, but I click on it and I, I go to episode one. And this, this really suave voice comes on introducing the podcast and this like a awesome ransom note. I messed all the bass up. Are you kidding me? Who's no. that? Who, who was the, who's the guy at the beginning? Oh, that was, that was a guy. I, uh, I went on this website called Fiverr and I, I paid for an intro. It was like 10 bucks. And I told oh, him wow. what to write. Yeah. Yeah. You know, firefighters find a way. <laughs> I, he I hear his voice and I'm like, all right, this sounds like something I might be interested in. And, and then it shifts, it shifts to you. And you start talking and in like 30 seconds, I'm mesmerized. And I'm just, your voice, the music and the words that were coming out of your mouth. It was like you were in my living room talking right directly to me. And, and I sat up and I, and I listened and I started listening, but I was so mesmerized by this music and the voices that when you introduced what the podcast was about, you, you'd say this. And how sad is this? I have this memorized because I tell this story in every PTSD class. It says, welcome to PTSD Bunker Gear for Your Brain. I'm your host, Carl Waggett. We're here to talk about PTSD and the emergency services. You know, police, fire, EMS, corrections, military. And I missed in the beginning, like the first, I don't know, five or six episodes that I listened to. I'm like, wait a minute. He's talking about emergency services and he's not even mentioning the dispatcher. Oh, I got to change this, right? So I send you a little message. I'm like, hey, Carl, you're amazing. You're helping me in a big way. Um, but I have a big mouth in 911 across the United States. And I would love to share your podcast, except <laughs> you need to start adding the dispatcher to your emergency services. Is that okay? Can you do that? And do you remember what your reply was? <laughs> you know what? I, I've to be honest with you, I, I was, I was a little shocked. I remember thinking, okay, I, I've started this and thank you very much for the email, but I, I, I really have no idea what I'm doing. And I didn't have the confidence to even say that. So I was like, yes, dispatch. Absolutely. I can include that. Yeah. Th this lady that I live with, Miss Jackie, she, she's a 911 dispatcher and has been as long as I've ridden the fire trucks. 
right? But here's here's the interesting thing about the emergency services that that every sector sees certain things, and it's it's overwhelming. Like it's you know what you can handle it whichever way you want, but the problem is is that you always think what you do is the worst. So when I used to think about dispatch and they used to talk about how bad it was, I used to say, yeah, you know, you should see how bad it is when you're actually there. And that was always my response. <laughs> it wasn't until I started understanding the mental game in the emergency services, because that's exactly what it is. It's a mental game that I started studying Alfred Hitchcock. And I started understanding how he actually terrified people. And he was brilliant because he realized that your brain will scare you 10 times more than he ever could. And I never realized that that's exactly what dispatch does. They're going to a call that I'm going to, but they're not allowed to see it. And the funny thing is, is that when I come back from a terrible call, I'm in the truck with three other guys. And there'll be a lot of times you get in the truck and it'll be quiet. And one guy will say, Okay, that was nuts, right? And then the dialogue starts up. Yeah. Dispatchers don't get that. The phone rings. They go to the next one. They go to the next one. And they go to the next one. They go to the next one. And you do that for 30 years, right? And yeah. you, go, you think about the stuff you heard. And that's when you start to get a new understanding that life is more than one dimensional. And the problem with this rabbit hole is when you start to look at mental health is a lot of people look at it and go, oh, that is deep water. Like that's really, really deep water. And I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't have swam in it if my life was mm, okay, but I'd gone through a divorce. <laughs> you know, I would lost my family. I, I I've been so busy defending everybody else's family in my, in my coverage area that I lost my own family in the process. And that unfortunately that happens way too much happens all the time. Yeah. Right. So then I meet Miss Jackie, which is a, a ray of light in a dark room. And I'm, I'm acting the same way again. So life has a funny way of presenting this thing to you that you can either learn or you can repeat. Yep. <laughs> but the problem is, is that learning is sometimes extremely painful. And when I started to realize what mental health can take from a individual, you, you start to realize how devastating this is. Right. And, and, and how many different ways it can attack people. And you really opened that door for me because I would have stuck with the fire truck side of it. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. What you see optically, you know, how that affects you, your gray matter, how that affects your, your, the way you perceive the world. It's incredible. Right. You get an individual who sees that stuff every single day for 30 years. How do they view the world? Right. Well, they, you know, if they view it fine, that's great. But if they don't, well, that's where me and you help. Right. So when we start to understand how this 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 job can affect us personally and how it can affect our families, we start studying it the same as flashpoints in a room. Right. We start looking at it the same as where are at airbags in a, in a car. Right. When you do an extrication, you don't just go cutting into a car like it's a tin can. It's going to blow up. It's got airbags in it. <laughs> well, most and, don't. Most most don't. Most most well, try we to study have their that, job, don't right? we? Yeah. So so if we can implement the the mental side of it, and I I think what's so interesting with this this little quest that well me and you find ourselves on is that we really understand that we're not here to fix anybody. And I think that's what's so overwhelming for captains and and battalion chiefs and chiefs and deputies. Because you have to manage a city, okay? And now you've got to be a psychologist. Right. Like, it's too much, right? But if we learn in the emergency services that, no, there's a whack of really, really smart people over here that want to help us. And I, I realized in the fire service, and maybe people will disagree, but I never re really saved anybody's life. 
right? I, I took people out of really dangerous situations and I took them to a really smart person, a surgeon. Okay. So what I do is I extricate them out and I take them to a smart person. I never really saved anybody, even doing CPR. They, they have to go and do rehabilitation. But you start to understand that it's this team that saves us people. And, and once you start to understand that, then you can, you start moving as a team. And with the fire service, taking people from really bad areas into good areas, that's exactly what we do with mental health. I, I've done over 400 podcasts. I never claim that I can cure anybody, but I know some really smart people that can. Well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to disagree. I, I feel very strongly that you were a huge part of helping me to still be here today. And I've told you that before. I will tell you that a hundred times that you got me to listen, first of all. Um, and then you got me to understand that the things that I was going through wasn't stuff that I was doing on my own and that there was help. You know, when I listen, you said Dr. Story's name. If I had a dollar for every time you said Dr. Story's name, I wouldn't even have to work for the rest of my life and I could just do this, right? That's what I do. I reference smart people. So you got so so you got to a place where you said, "Okay, so you're with Miss Jackie, cutest little woman ever." And and I can just picture her reaching up and grabbing you by the ear and being like, "Let's go." Like, "Let let's go to a better place." Um and from what I understand, she had a huge hand in helping you and that I want to point to the actual support that you have around you, right? Because I think sometimes when we're doing this, and I was doing the same thing, I was, I was not nice to be around. And, and I would, you know, I, I like to think of myself as fun, as upbeat and positive. And, but when this thing got a hold of me, I was not that person. I was sad. I was crying. I was emotional. Um, I was yelling at my kid about the most foolish things, like telling her that she couldn't jump on the trampoline. Okay. That's what a trampoline is for, ma. But it's like, yeah, but you're going to get hurt and your bone is going to stick out of your arm. And like, like, like I just started having this need to control everything. And, and when you start to unravel this ball of yarn, it's there's a big pile of yarn in the middle of the floor. And, and sometimes you don't know what the steps are to get back to putting that ball back together again. Right. So especially when you don't even know that ball exists. Like, right. I, sorry, I, I thought the mental health thing was hardwired into you. What do you mean you lost this? What are you, what are you talking about? Like, right. I studied this. I know nothing of this. What do you mean all of a sudden things start to make sense? Look, if I start fighting with people, it's because everybody else is wrong. How could I possibly be wrong? Right. It's, it's almost like it's hardwired into you, right? So there's this real fight with your ego to go, wait a minute, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not right. That's, that's, that's scary to say, right? It really is. Because, well, how do you fix it? Right. Mm -hmm. So where was, where was the moment? Okay. So I, one, I just want to talk about you. You said that st statement, you weren't right. When I teach classes, I teach CPR classes. I teach EMT classes, dispatch, EMD dispatch classes. Um, and I always tell people the importance of the phrase, I don't feel right versus nah, I'm not feeling well. Mm -hmm. What I learned in my career is that when the, the times where people use the phrase, I don't feel right. Um, there was something really significant going on. And you just used that phrase here too, which I felt the same way. Like something's not right. If I'm calling and ordering a pizza and the person on the other end of the line says something or it's it sounds a certain way or, and then all of a sudden I'm crying at the end of that phone call, something's not quote right. 
Do you recall the place where you actually said, okay, something's not right and I need to do something about it? Yeah, there was, you know what, it, this, this, unfortunately, this podcast would have to be four and a half hours for me to explain that because right, I, right. I'm hard headed. Right. And I, I think that happens to a lot of people. Um, I think it's easier for me when I look back, when I realize something wasn't right with me inherently, I like helping people, right? Yeah. That's, that's what I, I do. And, and it's brilliant that you brought that up because as far as I'm concerned, defining what is not right is you have to know yourself. Okay. And a lot of people don't know that. Okay. One thing that I know about myself is I like helping people. All right. Yeah. I like having fun. I like laughing and joking, but I like helping people. I started to notice that my level of frustration from either not sleeping or not eating right, or just not feeling right, whatever it is, I started lashing out at people. Okay. This is way outside my personality now. Yeah. This is, this is not something I do, but the problem is when you have a a mouth this quick, okay, you can do a lot of damage in a conversation. Yep. And I started to notice that, you know, I, I was, I was like the others at work. I was ganging up on the weak. And I thought, you know what, this is like pup, this is like kicking a puppy. I don't know what, what am I doing here? Like I would go home and I would actually feel bad about the stuff I would say, oh, don't get me wrong. I'd get the whole room laughing. Right. right. But there's a great example of, I know there's a lot of Hollywood while I'm not right. Like maybe I'm drinking too much or this or that, but me not being right was going against my own morals. Like I, like I was doing it and I was doing it out of frustration because it felt good. Right. It really yeah. did. The problem is aggression does that. You know, there's one thing that keeps PTSD at bay. It's adrenaline. Okay. You know, this is why a lot of these guys, they go out, you know, a lot of firefighters will go up to the cottage for the weekend. They'll drink for 72 hours straight. They'll go tube and they'll almost kill themselves. It's all adrenaline. It's all adrenaline because it keeps it at bay. And as we get older, it's, well, it's harder to get that adrenaline. But if you get in an argument with somebody, you know, you can, you can turn adrenaline on pretty quick. And the problem is, is when I started to notice things weren't right was when I was, I was looking for these fights and these fights weren't just stopping at work. They were now in the general public. I was now doing this with my family members and my ego, if you will. And obviously we'll talk about more and more, but your ego justifies everything. So the problem is, is now what I'm finding is not only I'm frustrated, but I'm blaming everybody else for everything that's going on, because how could it possibly be my fault? Right. If, if, if I would have understood mental health, if I would have understood, you know, how certain things affect certain people, I would have gone, wait a minute, I know what that is. Okay, I know what this is. And that's really the whole podcast, the whole quest, all of that was just to say to people, because look, I used to get along great with guys at work. I ran every single golf tournament. Wags had a good time. And now I'm walking into work and I look at the accountability board and I think, oh God, it's going to be a long day. I'm going to fight all day with these guys. Because you are, because you already had it in your mind that you were going to be looking for a fight. It's already there. It's a, it's predetermined. So like I said, you know, PTSD in the emergency services doesn't always look like the, like Hollywood, you know, the flashbacks, all this stuff. It's all of a sudden the, the world that you see, your perception changes. Trace, I could have kept going. Sweetie, you have no idea. I could have run another 15 years on the trucks, but what was I becoming? Like, I, 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 I'm, I realized when I got on the job, there were people that were old and miserable. And I thought they were just old and miserable because they were old. No, this, this job can do stuff. Now, here's the great thing is I always keep saying, 
now that we've learned about it, it doesn't mean we have to go the same places as they did. So right. look, I'm, I'm all for tradition, but tradition is nothing more than peer pressure from dead people. Look, I'm sorry. Look, I, <laughs> I think that people in the emergency services can enjoy the job and their family. Yes. Look, I'm really sorry people in the past didn't. I'm sorry that they went through divorce. I'm sorry that alcoholism was a huge thing. I'm sorry, substance abuse and broken families, all that. I'm really sorry. But this is the essence of evolution. Look, if I made a terrible mistake, I, I would be pissed off if somebody followed in my footsteps. That's not tradition. That's stupid. Right. You know, you, you need to look at what I've done. Okay. See the mistakes I've made. See what it cost me. And don't make them. It's such a simple game to play, right? It really is. And, you know, I find peace in the fact that, you know what, uh, maybe I'll help somebody from my mistakes. And that's the way life works. And that's fine, I guess. But for me to try and convince the next generation to be exactly like I am because, well, they're weak, that's despicable. They're hiding behind our ego. And I've always said that mental health hides behind the bravado of the individual. It really, really does. And, and if, you can, if you can drop that, because our society's taught us that that's weak, if you can drop that and see it for what it is, you can have it all. Right? I, I agree. I agree 100%. Like I did not, I never thought that I could get to a place where I felt good again, where oh. it was almost like I felt guilty. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I have PTSD and there's this stigma and this, and this vision of what PTSD is, but I'm hoping to change that. You're hoping to change that is to show people like, yes, I got knocked down. I got knocked down. I got beat up pretty good. But guess what? I got back up. I brushed myself off. And then I, I put a tool in my toolbox that could help. And for me, my tool was, but you were the first tool. I will always say you are that foundation, the first tool to go, okay, I'm not alone in this. And there is help. And I have to find, because I had gone to doctors, like I had, I had gone to therapists my entire life. But what, what had happened or my entire adult life, what would happen is I would go in there and I would start talking and I'd be like, yeah, and he did this and she did this and I did this. And then that, and it was just like, I was just repeating and rehashing yeah. what happened. And then I would walk out of there with, with excruciating neck pain and a headache and my respiratory rate was, and I'm like, this is not working. Like, yeah. th- like this isn't helping me. It's like trying to fight a house fire with nothing but ventilation. Yeah, you're just gonna make it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So for me, I kept doing it because that was what I was supposed to do. And I'm believe me, I am not the last thing I'm doing is knocking talk therapy because it did. There were pieces that helped me 100%. Right. But there was another level, I had to go another level deeper. Well, I, I think we're, we are starting to understand that the emergency services, they, okay, I know Hollywood, and I keep going back to this perceives, you know, the firefighters is playing basketball and eat steaks, and they do do that, right? They absolutely do do that. But what firefighters actually see, they can't show on TV. Right. They, right. they can't. Come on. People be throwing up everywhere, right? There's, there's a reason why firefighters get paid what they get paid, right? Now, the only problem is, is it, I, I don't think it's out of harm. I don't think it's out of ignorance, right? Why the emergency services haven't had access to this information. I just, I don't think it's ever been thought of before. And I think the pain and the suffering has gotten to the point now that people are going, wait a minute, this is, this is really affecting people. 
Like it was always understood that, you know what, maybe firefighters acted a bit crazy or maybe they had a drinking problem. People always said, yeah, but look at the stuff they see. Like it was almost, it was like, it was okay. Right. Yeah, like it was, but, it was expected. But now the firefighters are going, no, 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 screw this. Wait a minute. I'm, I don't want to lose my family. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to end up paying, you know, splitting my pension three times and, and having alimony payment. I just, all I want to do is help people. That's it. Yeah. And really what, like uh, what we both do is, is say, look, here's the thing. You don't, you don't have to ride this all into the basement. Like the other generations have, you don't have to, right. You can stop and go, okay, whoa, this isn't right. And I think when I go back to the time where I found you, there wasn't a lot out there. Like, like no. even just three years ago, there was not a lot out there. I am thrilled to have been a part of a movement in the 911 space. Oh, but you certainly have. You, you've clocked the, you've clocked the miles, like actually like, clocked. Like literally. Yeah. Like on the plane and everything. But I, I feel like, I feel like when, when, when I look back, you know, at the end of my life and I say, all right, what did I accomplish? I will know just like you will know that you made a huge contribution to making mental health conversations. Okay. And I think for so long they were happening behind closed doors. It was big secret. Like I joke about my PTSD and you know, there's times where I'm serious and I'll show a picture of what, you know, no makeup, haven't showered in three days, sitting on the couch, feeling sorry for myself. And especially, you know, I've, I've gone through some challenging times over the last few weeks, but yeah. look at, I'm, I'm here. I'm with you. I'm smiling. I'm, I'm getting back to the mission at hand. And that's to get folks to know it's okay to not be okay. But what's not okay is for you to sit there and wallow in it. Well, right? so well said. And you know, it's funny because you say they laugh at it all the time. Yep. It's interesting. While, while I went on my little crusade of knowledge, I started to find out why they laugh at it all the time because they know it's a major advantage. I hate to say it, but it's the working peons that they make fun of for getting help with mental health because they, well, they need them to keep working, don't they? Right. Just keep working. And I'll but tell you, so one of the things that I find extremely frustrating is, um, so I'm a part of obviously a lot of 911 groups on social media and, and I follow a lot of these conversations. And one of the things that really uh, burns my butt is is when I read about a telecommunicator who was struggling that asked for help and they were not given the help that they needed and in turn were basically pushed out of their job. And, and that to me is, you know, we talk about these careers being shorthanded anyway, right? Like there's a lot of turnover and why is there a lot of turnover? Are we looking like, are we looking at the big picture? Um, did you care to keep track of what that particular emergency service worker has been through in the last six months, a year, two years, right? I always talk about following up after a, a critical incident, whatever it may be, if it's, you know, the folks that are responding in the field or the telecommunicator, following up with them, yeah, when it happens, but also follow up a month later and six months later and a year later, because this stuff, just it's not a flick of a switch. And it's like, oh, you had a bad call and now life sucks. Right? I, I know. And I'll, I'll tell you what burns my butt even more 
is it when it comes down to it, it's dollars and cents. You know, you, you look at a, a firefighter, for instance, they most places have seniority pay. The union takes care of that. So a firefighter that has worked there longer will get paid more than a probationary yep, firefighter. Yep, true. So the problem is there's really no motivation for the city to keep around older people. Sorry. And when you're looking at a time where people are counting pennies as far as taxes are concerned, guess what? There's no motivation to help these people. And, and this is why I, I did a lot of talks with, with uh, captains, platoon chiefs, you know, battalion chiefs, because it, as long as the city starts to understand that if we start to look after mental health, it's going to save them more money than they could possibly imagine. Look, let's take feelings for a second and let's put them aside because we know they don't care. Right. There's not, I'm never going to get them to understand what I see in the field. There's just no right. way. So, right. so I might as well stop. But the fact of the matter is, is that what major league sports and NASA started to understand was it doesn't matter how much you invest in a human being. If they can't get themselves off the couch because of depression, they're useless. And the emergency service is starting to notice that now. So if we can show these cities that by educating these people about mental health, look, Anybody in the emergency service work, anybody in the emergency services love their job. They don't like being away from it. They're yep. away from it because, well, you know what? Things are not good. So if we can help the city with sick time, explaining what mental health is, that's when they go, oh, wait a minute. There's money involved. You can save 25% of our sick time. Well, maybe we'll talk about it. Look, I don't care how I set the hook in these people's mouth. I don't care. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is these people that are running the call see stuff that the bean counters could not possibly understand what they see. And the fact is, is this is turning into an epidemic. Like this is a real problem because the people that you're calling for 911 that are coming to get you are struggling more than the people they're going to pick up. Yes. And are we just going to turn a blind eye and hope this fixes itself? No. And I, and I, and I agree. And I think. I think we were struggling to begin with, and mm. I think we were starting to get to the point where, you know, folks were starting to pay attention and starting to listen to the folks. And and sadly, it seems like it's the folks that are on the outside that are beating, you know, the message into them. Like, hey, we, your folks are struggling. They like they'll hear it from other people, but when they're other, when their folks go to them, it's like let's get better at getting resources for these folks. It's so That's, true. And I, I really think these managers and the, the things they're too close to the problem too. Yeah. Well, and they're dealing with their own stuff. And so the, the epic part, that's the epic part right there. Yeah. They are dealing with their own stuff. I remember going through my mess. It's not to say anything bad about my telecommunicators. I had a wonderful staff, but I was crumbling. Like mm -hmm. I was like, I was coming into work crying all the time. I was starting to use up all my sick time. Like I did not want to even walk through the door. I was having, I was having symptoms from triggers, even just walking into the town hall, even after the person that had started this stuff mm -hmm. left, like I couldn't physically walk into the town hall because my heart would start racing and my stomach would hurt. And I would feel like I had to go to the bathroom and I would just leave. And then I would have somebody else pick up or do what it was that I needed. And I started this avoidance thing in a big way. And then it got to the place where I couldn't even go into the dispatch center and I would sit there spacing out out. Like, I'd be like, all right, um, I got to do this, this, and this, and nothing, like nothing was getting accomplished. Um, my folks saw me breaking, but there was nothing that they knew to do. Well, like I said, it, it, none of us study this in school. Like right. I had no idea. So you look at all of the folks that are in management right now and what they're, they're trying to hold their stuff together, yeah. right? Their, their home is being affected. Their families are being affected. 
they've suffered loss. I, I, those folks, they don't have a choice to just go, all right, I'm going to take a month off from work and I'm going to get myself mentally together. No, they got to go right back in to, to the fire. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and this is exactly what happens that, you know, you'll always find this in, in, in moments of great fear, Uh, people point fingers. I mean, I did it when I was scared, I point fingers. And, and, and sometimes in, in situations like this, that's exactly what happens instead of going, okay, like what can we fix? Right. What are some of the things that we can do to, to minimize the damage? Well, you know, you look at your company right now, uh, as from somebody who's been a captain in the fire service. Okay. What your company offers is utopia for the emergency services. Oh, no, but think about it. any manager out there. Okay. Even if you cannot stand your staff. Okay. Let's say you're in a situation where you don't even like the people you work with. Okay. Can you imagine how much easier it would be to manage those people if they had eight hours of sleep a night? Right. How much easier it would be to manage those people if their patience level was better, you know, and, and too many people with the mental health thing, they get caught up in the feelings thing. And I've never been a feely touchy guy, right? I never have, but you really start to understand that when people are happier, they're more productive. I am when I feel better, I'm more productive. So when we go to the emergency services and say, look, uh, we're not asking anybody here to be a psychologist. But what we can do is we can make your life so much easier by making your employees better. Yep. Look, I'm not, I'm done trying to convince people of mental health. I now show them things that make them feel better and they go, I'm in. Are you kidding me? Nobody likes suffering with the stuff that mental health brings. Even if they wear the greatest mask ever and nobody ever figures it out. Nobody likes feeling like this. So if a manager at work can help somebody feel better, trust me, that's worth more than a 10% raise. I will guarantee it, right? I know we're so motivated by, oh, well, we'll give them another rank. We'll give them another stripe on the shoulder. Look, you give somebody peace, that person will work for you forever. Yep. Like forever. And mental health brings stuff to people in the emergency services that they don't know what they're fighting. So uh, Tracy, what you can offer these people as managers is, is salvation to their employees because mental health can, well, it can bring hell for the simple reason the world keeps turning. So you can feel the most unbelievable, devastating loss. Six o'clock's coming tomorrow morning. The bank's going to want their money. You're going to have to keep going. Now, if there's somebody out there that can help me deal with what's destroying me, I'll pay anything for that. And, and trying to manage people that are suffering with this is next to impossible. If you have somebody at your work that is suffering with mental health, do you know how hard that is as a manager? Logic doesn't seem to matter anymore. Like it really right. doesn't. They'll pick fights about stuff that they doesn't even need to pick fights with. Like I've, I've heard it so bad in the fire service where people stop showering. Yeah. Right. So as a manager, how do you approach somebody and go, Hey, guess what? Rest of the crew is talking. You can avoid that terrible situation from ever happening because I have actually witnessed that happen in a fire hall. And (laughs) sometimes sensitivity problems don't get fixed with four strong type A personalities. Right. Sometimes Sometimes it goes south. Trust me. And I watched it. So you can do this. Yeah. So by you helping these captains, these battalion chiefs, deputies, chiefs, whatever, it doesn't matter. 
by educating them on this, this stops them from sweeping it under the carpet. And it gives them the confidence that, hey, we don't have to be afraid of this big, bad monster mental health because we were afraid of this thing called bad backs in the 70s. And we fixed that one, didn't we? Right? So once once you learn them that they can, you know what, they can help their people. Look, nobody likes seeing people suffer, especially people in the emergency services. Right. They go and they help people every single day. So the people they're riding on the trucks with or in the dispatch center or in the cop cars or in the EMS or whatever, if they see somebody hurting, you can sense that you can feel it. Right. And sometimes when you're hurting, too, you make fun of that person. And that's what I started to do. And that's when I realized I'm not right. I'm making fun of somebody who's hurting like me. And even though consciously I couldn't understand it, some strange reason I could sense it. You know what I mean? Never admitted it back then, but I admit it now. And uh, Tracy, you've got the keys to the kingdom. Like you really do. You can offer people not just help on both sides of the call, but you can help managers help their staff. And it's funny that you say that because I was having a conversation with with a new director, mm-hmm. a new director. And um, they reached out and they're like, I don't, <laughs> they said to me, I don't want to be the guy that destroyed you. Like, that's what they said. I don't want to be that guy. And I'm like, great, (laughs) good. Cause that's my goal. Like the last thing I want. And just to be clear, the guy that, you know, opened Pandora's box for me, he wasn't even in public safety. He was in town government. Right. So he was like, he was a town administrator at the time. And so knows nothing about public safety, um, knows nothing about what we go through on, on a daily basis, which happens a lot. But as I was talking to to this particular person, I said, first and foremost, um, I think it's really important for you to work with me in my new endeavor and get a DISC assessment on all of your people and then work with me to understand each one of those people. You have a clean slate, your new supervisor, your new boss, you have a clean slate on what type of leader you can be. And a new class that I just wrote, um, the title of the class is, you know, be the leader that your people don't want to quit. Yeah. Right. So So one of the things that they realized, so they're in this new role, a lot of things going on, a lot to absorb, a lot to learn. And I said, how many people do you have under you? And it was like 18. And I said, you need to find time to regularly, regularly, can't even say it, sit down with them, every one of them, for at least 30 minutes every couple of months. And in their mind, they're like, I'm not going to have the time to do that. And I explained, if you have the time to do that, it will save you so much time down the road. You know what? That's that's like somebody saying, I don't have time to brush my teeth. Right. If you're watching your folks, if you're communicating with that. Now, I get that there are agencies, you know, both police, fire, EMS, dispatch that have 160 employees. And honestly, there's no way for me as one person running that center to sit down and have coffee with 160 employees. But what I can do is I can maybe bring 10 in at a time and sit down and say, hey, what's going on? How are you guys? Let's have some donuts. Let's have some coffee. And I've, I've always said this. I always hear this about people don't want to talk. People don't want to talk. Do you know how much firefighters talk? <laughs> and dispatchers, we get, they get paid to talk, right? Oh, I mean, you know, I, when, when I first started this mental health, this podcast and whatnot, people go, well, people don't like talking about stuff. And 
in, in the fire service, we will talk about anything. Yep. So if, if we find out that we can make ourselves stronger without having to go to the gym and pound weights, oh my, I'll sit in a room and talk. I, why is it cool to listen to a Navy SEAL talk about mental toughness? But then when we put it towards the emergency services, it gets washed into this Weird. whole feelings thing. Yeah, it's we it's weird. It's weird. I don't know. Like you you look at any kind of special forces, anything like that. The one thing they talk about is breathing because it's one thing they can control. Yep. Why are we not implementing this in the emergency services? And and look, I know there's a lot of information to learn out there, but firefighters always want to learn new stuff, right? And something <laughs> that's going to make them stronger. So, you know, I think it's such an easy sell. It's just it's a it's a it's a scary sell. Well, know? I think when you talk about the breathing, right? Like I don't know why, but I just, I just got this vision of the old snake oil salesman, right? Like, <laughs> like they would be like, I have this tincture and it's going to fix this, this, and this. And I think until you actually put some of these things and and I'll tell you, I don't know a whole lot about the breathing thing, but what I do know is that the few occasions where I was guided through like Adam, Tim, the healthy dispatcher, he does that in a lot of his classes. Um, when I was exposed to it, it was like, Oh, whoa! well, that was cool. I can explain it really quick. If you'd like, please, please do explain it for the folks because even just having a little piece of one tool to take all over it. All right. Let's do about it. Okay. So look, we all understand that our brain is encased in our skull, right? Our brain can't see anything. Our brain is decoding the information. All right. And it, it shoots it up to our brain and our brain decodes it and goes, this is your reality. All right. Now it's a lot more complicated than that, but that's the way it works. Now, the problem is, is that what happens when the wires get a little crossed and anxiety gets in there and it tells your brain that there's something wrong. Well, your brain goes off the information of its five senses always doesn't question it. So if your brain thinks that there's something wrong, well, your heart starts to beat faster, doesn't it? Yep. Right. The blood starts going. And if that keeps up, the fight or flight kicks in and then adrenaline gets in and then you're off like a rocket. Okay. So what happens is, is that when we do this breathing, how do you breathe when you're scared? Your respiratory rate increases very right, quickly. Right. Shout. Every, yep. every horror movie you've ever said, right? Yep. So now this is not easy, but if you can do it, this is what happens. If you're having some kind of an attack or something like this, you take deep breaths in, deep breaths out. Your brain takes that as, I guess there's nothing wrong because they wouldn't be breathing like this if there wasn't. You're overriding the system is what you're doing. Now, what happens eventually after five minutes or so, this is not instant, it will start slowing your heart, brain, your heart down, which will slow down your blood pressure, which will stop dumping adrenaline into your system. What this will do is it'll give you control. Okay. It's not going to stop it. Everybody thinks that if you breathe, all of a sudden the anxiety disappears. You're slowing your system down manually. That's what you're doing because we run on autopilot all the time, yeah. right? We feel something. Oh my God, I'm scared right? That's what we do. Well, when we suffer from anxiety, PTSD, stuff like this, we can understand that, uh, okay, there's no reason to feel this right now. Like optically, right. There's, there's no reason. This is when we start the breathing. Okay. We got to fool the brain. Our brain has been overstimulated. That's what's happened. 
Okay, and we now have to manually work it back down. When that happens, it stops dumping the adrenaline. And that's really how you control stuff with your breathing. <laughs> Try doing it while you're having an anxiety attack. Good luck right? It's hard to do. I'm not going to lie to you. If you're really scared about something, try breathing deep. Nuh -uh. But when you do it the first time, you'll go, wow, now I get it. I always thought it had something to do with the Zen thing. I was way off the mark, right? Well, and a lot of folks, let's, you know, say meditate and all this stuff. I'm like, all right, first of all, I'm pretty sure I was a ping pong ball in another life to, well, to actually sit and focus. But what I do know is when I have done it and I ha even if it's for five minutes, I feel better, but it's one of those things that unless you incorporate it, unless you make it part of your everyday life, it becomes challenging. And, you know, I just that alone, the fact that there are things out there that help if you can look. Yeah. You know, you, you inspire people to look, Tracy, look, we're talking about the human brain. So the problem is it, it, it's, it's so easy to go, well, this doesn't work and this doesn't work. And maybe it works for them. It doesn't work for me. But like everything in life, you, you got to try. Right. Now, my problem was, is that like I, we've stated before, I thought mental health was everybody else messing with me, never thinking that I could fix myself. Yeah. With you being able to give that kind of power to people to understand that, okay, look, this didn't work for me, but this, this changed my life. People can wake up and, and that's, that's, that's hope. And I look, you don't need a million bucks in the bank. You, you don't even, you don't need anything. If you have hope that somehow pulls you through every day. And I felt that, right. And by knowing that just keeping looking that, that there are something that will fix the way you feel, that's, that's an incredible gift. And, and, and for you to be able to bring that to the emergency services is, is, is staggering. And like I said, you've clocked the You've clocked the miles girl. I mean, you've, you've actually jumped on the plane. I sit in my living room and do a little Facebook live. Wow. Look at all my dedication. Well, but first of all, not always. Cause there was that one time yes. that I dragged you and Miss Jackie over here to the States. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Are you kidding me? It was fantastic. And the best part is, is we're going to do it again. As soon as the world opens up, I cannot wait for us. Cause you know, for me, when I, when I made this decision to, to move from rapid SOS to my, my own thing on scene first, um, it was a lot to, to, to think about, right? Like, first of all, who quits their job in the middle of a, a pandemic? Second of all, who decides they're going to go and, and basically sell the snake oil, right? Like, I know it's going to be challenging. I know it's going to be hard, but I made the decision and I said, you know what, if for this first year I, I can pay my mortgage, but I can't shop on Amazon every day. Like I was okay. I'm, I got this right. And the importance of being able to give people that hope that life does not have to be the way that it is right now, unless it's amazing. If Look, I, I think that's the key right there. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, our society, when you, when, you, when you feel so much pain, you settle. Yep. You do. You settle and you're just happy for what you got and that's fine. And when you start to understand that, wait a minute, there's a, there's a way that I can change this. Yep. And, and there's a way that I can, I can change the way I perceive the world. Because, you know, I've always said, look, if you can't change the stuff in your life, because that was me, I can't change my job. I can't change my situation. I can't change the money in my bank account. Then you really got to start changing the way you look at it. Yep. It's your only option. If not, you're going to stay where you are sorry, but that's, that's your penance. That's what you must pay. Right now, the second that you go, Hey, you know what? 
believe it or not, there are things bigger than me in this world. Shocker, right? And you know what? I have made mistakes from time to time. All of a sudden, all this knowledge floods in. Yep. Okay. Until you allow that to happen, you're going you're to fight this on your own. And it's messy. It's so messy and ugly and it's terrible. Oh, I did it all. Self-care went out the window. I had yeah. hair going out of places that I shouldn't have. I smelled weird. Anyways, all of a sudden, <laughs> the fact was, is that I was, that's when I'm fighting the battle by myself. So when you're quiet and you're isolated and you smell funny, nobody wants to help that person, right? right? Nobody. Look at him. He's let himself go. No wonder his life's gone for a crap. He drinks all the time. He's a miserable bugger. He never talks to anybody. But the second you go, look, guys, I'm something's attacking me and I don't know what it is. Yeah. You go, hey, you know what? There's times I feel like that. Because you got to remember, dudes don't have a lot of feelings, right? And mental health game is nothing but feelings. Right. You ladies, I'm sorry, you're lifetimes ahead of us in, in this department because we're ashamed of it. We want to fight it because that's what men do. We fight. Oh, yeah. let's get into it. Lovely. And right? then and then on the flip side, I'll go, I'll go to the women part of it is, you're too emotional. You're too emotional. You're too sensitive. You're too emotional. So there's two very different ends of the spectrum there, right? People start to understand that, wait a minute, I'm, I'm dealing with something that believe it or not, a lot of people deal with. I know our parents told us to fear it. I understand all of that, but we're living in the future. Ladies and gentlemen, it's 2021, right? The stuff that we knew in the eighties is not the same now. Just look at your phone. Right. Right. You, you can't suggest to me that you cannot think the same way as they did in the 80s. That's insulting to not only yourself, but everybody. Look, you got to jump on the boat and come in for the big win with the rest of the team and understand that human beings here are evolving. Yeah. Okay. And we're starting to understand what we feel. Look, maybe he's in the, maybe in the forties and the fifties, people didn't worry about that so much. Okay. That's great. Look at the quality of life back then. Sorry. Look at it now. Right. We're evolving. And, and those people that understand this, you will enjoy your time on this planet more. I don't know how else I can say that. Yeah. If this helps you and the way that you perceive your life, guys, you may hit the lotto. You may not win the lotto. But if you change your perception of life, oh, my word, you can start winning tomorrow. And that's a nice feeling. Because when my, was, when my life was coming apart, I was thinking, great, either I have to win the lottery, I have to have a rich family member that passes away. But the fact is, I'm never getting out of the way I feel. Right. Um, but I think sometimes when we get knocked down, it's very easy to use the ability to stay down, to 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 not put ourselves in situations where those things are going to happen again, whether it's, you know, an argument or, you know, an assault, what, whatever it is, sometimes it's easier to just avoid it when in fact you give more power to yourself when you get up and, sh- and show that you're not afraid anymore. Right. Well said, well said. So, so true. And you know, just hearing that from somebody else can open doors in ways that you can't imagine. So I applaud what you're doing, Tracy. I think it's incredible. Thank you, my friend. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. I can't even thank you enough. I know I will have you back on here at some point. Anytime. Just call me. Are you kidding me? I'm in. I also know that, like I said, when the world opens back up, the Tracy and Carl show is going to hit the U.S. at some point. Um, 
definitely looking forward to reconnecting with you and, and, and getting some classes out there for the, for the folks um, across the U.S. and emergency services. Uh, but right now, folks can actually find you on your Facebook page, PTSD Bunker Gear for Your Brain, on Thursday nights at 9.30 Eastern. You That's do right. a live show, about a half an hour, right? That's right. Any, uh, any more and I'm rambling. At, well, I wouldn't say that. I'm always True. sad when it ends. I'm like, all right, I'm like, this is good. This is good. Uh, many of you, if you're friends with me on Facebook, I, if I'm on, I try to share it, uh, you know, to get the word oh. out there, but that's where folks can find you. And then they can ask for an invite to the bunker room, right? Yeah. Which is kind of a closed environment. Can you just tell us a little bit about what the bunker room is and, and what folks can expect to find there? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, it's a it's a support room that's run by a lady called Kathleen. She's fantastic. She really is. And what it is, it's it's a room for well everybody to talk, right? It's an understanding that look everybody in there is struggling with something in some capacity, right? And what we do is you know the number of times I've seen somebody post that they're struggling and there's forty comments right there. Yep. We're, we're also going to start a, a Zoom uh, a, a class in there too. Nice. You know, I, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. Tracy, I expect you to drop by, right? Of I will be helping for sure. <laughs> but the thing is, is that look, information's wonderful, but camaraderie is everything, yep. right? And and in the time that we're living in right now, look, if we can get a room together where 50 or 60 people can get together, then I think it's incredible. And, and that's really what that is. It's just, it's a support room for people to take a knee. That's yep. really it. I love that. I love, you've always, you always, that was one of the, you know, so first of all, I love your sayings, right? Everybody knows that I love your sayings that the can of corn, that was probably my favorite <laughs> clamping an eyeball on things. Um, but taking a knee, you know, in a, in a lot of your podcasts and if folks are looking for your podcast, they can find it on, you know, most podcast places. But what I'm going to highly recommend is they jump on your YouTube channel. This is how I tell folks how to find Carl Waggett when I introduce you in all the classes that I do. Um, is to go to YouTube, go to the videos, sort them by date and go all the way back to the beginning. Cause all of your podcasts are there. Yeah. You can't, yeah. You can't really find them all anywhere else. Go back to the beginning. You'll hear that moment where Carl talks about this girl, Tracy from Massachusetts that I kind do. of smacked him in the face with a shovel. <laughs> I do talk about that. Yes. Yes. You can listen to that. Telecommunicators. I told Carl that telecommunicator week was the second week of April and he did five days in a row of amazing podcasts. Maybe I'll link them, you know, here because they, they are really important to hear your perspective. You nailed it, my friend, as usual. Well, well it, 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 it opened up my eyes when, when you said that, like I said, I, Jackie is a dispatcher and I never thought about what they go through. So it's incredible. So I should be thanking you. Yeah. Well, we're, we're doing this together, my friend, and we will, we will always be by each other's side trying to, to help people get to the places they need to, to, to help themselves. So I appreciate you being here, Carl. I will see you Thursday night at nine 30. Yes. All right. You're and the best. So much for having me on the show. I, I just, as always had a blast. All right, my friends. Thank you for listening. Make sure you join us next time for another episode of entertaining, educational and empowering interviews with public safety difference makers. Please like and follow me on social media at On Scene First with Tracy Eldridge so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. Thank you, heroes, from the bottom of my blessed heart. Stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you. 
For more information on RapidSOS, our premier sponsor, and how you can get connected to the world's first emergency response data platform and better prepare and protect your family and community, visit rapidsos.com today.